Welcome to Talking in Vain, a podcast of the Infusion Nurses Society. I'm Dawn Barrent, the Infusion Nurse Educator for the INS and the host for today's podcast. I'm happy to have with me today Kelsey Taylor. Welcome, Kelsey. Hi, thank you so much for having me. Kelsey, please tell us a little bit about yourself. Um, My name is Kelsey Taylor. I am 25 years old. I am a college student at Wheaton College in Massachusetts, and I'm studying film and media studies um, with a concentration in English and journalism, and I have sickle cell anemia. Um, I was diagnosed at birth, and soon we'll be talking about what my life is like with sickle cell. Very good. Thank you again for being with me. So, Kelsey, when did you first learn that you had sickle cell anemia? I understand that you were diagnosed at birth, but when did it become apparent to you that you had this condition? Um, I think it became apparent around three years old. Um, My mom knew that she had the trait. My dad also knew that he had the trait. Um, They had seen a genetic specialist, and when they had my sister, she was tested, but she ended up not having the disease nor the trait. Um, they got really confident with that, and they actually had me and didn't even think about it after the fact. Um, and then when I was around two weeks old, I wasn't gaining enough weight. Um, and my mom, actually, my older sister, Marissa, she had uh, the chicken pox, and a doctor had called my mom and told her, um, you need to bring Kelsey in, she's not getting enough weight, etc. My mom kind of put up a fight and was like, hey, I have a kid with chicken pox at home, Um, is there any way we can go around this appointment? And the doctor, the pediatrician, actually um, wanted my mom to bring me in so that she could tell my mom that I had sickle cell anemia. So it was then that my mom found out around two weeks old and I was really monitored from then on, um, and my sickle cell was very, uh, I guess, well-kept, um, and I didn't have any problems. Around two and a half, three years old, I started having breathing problems, um, coughing, um, not really being able to breathe, and I ended up going in, and I was sickling in my lungs, which is a very serious mm-hmm. complication. Um, and they almost put me in the ICU. Um, So that was kind of when I also was understanding because I had all these nurses, all these doctors around me, and it was the first time that I really realized that um, something was wrong. Um, Around five years old is when I had my first pain crisis, and that was kind of the start of my relationship with pain and understanding my illness better. Um, I was screaming, I was crying, I was telling my mom, you know, if you, uh, I'll be a good girl if you could just take the pain away. Um, Mm -hmm. I just didn't really understand why I was going through so much pain. Um, That was the first time that I kind of got the pain aspect of my illness, and it was was pretty bad. Okay, and I'm certain it was very frightening being a young child and experiencing that amount of pain. Um, let's go there. Uh, tell us about the pain that you experience with sickle cell. Um, it is such a hard thing to describe, but it kind of feels like if you were to be shot, um, it's like this really 
intense throbbing. Um, I also described it when I was younger as like a, a fire, like a burning um, that you get deep in your bone and it kind of radiates out other places. Um, it's very intense. And as I get older, I'm able to cope with it more. So it doesn't seem as intense, if that makes sense. It's kind of an invisible illness where even when it's really bad, I'm not crying, I'm not screaming. Um, just because I'm able to cope with it more, but that doesn't mean that the pain isn't real. Um, and when I was younger, it felt like someone was setting my body on fire. It was mm. just this very constant burning pain. It kind of throbbed. It radiated down to other places, so there would be a pinpoint of it. Um, for me, it was mainly my joints. So in the bend of my arm, under the bend of my knees, um, all that kind of stuff. And it felt like someone had a tourniquet on me, and it was just radiating, throbbing down my leg, down my arm. Um, and it just is a very, it's a pain that you can't control. You would try everything from heat packs to drinking. Um, but once I know that it's getting really bad, it's spreading, that it's not under control, that's kind of when I go into the hospital and I, I suck it up and I try to get some help. Okay. Tell us what mm -hmm. happens next. What what kind of treatment do you undergo that helps relieve the pain that you're feeling? Um, I think one of the most important things, and it's very underrated, um, is the fluids. Um, getting the IV fluids really helps. It kind of cools down the sensation of the burning, and it helps things to move along. Um, for me, I also get Toradol, um, which helps with the inflammation. So because my body is trying to fight the um, part where there's a buildup of cells, um, the inflammation kind of happens, and that makes everything else worse. So the Toradol is something that I get. It's like a stronger ibuprofen, um, and it just helps with the inflammation. And then I'm on a protocol where um, I get the allotted hydromorphone. Um, for me, regular morphine makes me itch so bad that it's uncontrollable and it makes me very nauseous. So for each different patient, um, there's different pain meds that work. And although sometimes doctors try to force me into things like oxycodone and morphine, um, for me, hydromorphone or Dilaudid helps best and it helps with all those other complications like itching and um, getting an upset stomach. So that's kind of my protocol. Um, fluids, mm -hmm. Toradol, um, I try my hardest not to get on PCA because for mm -hmm. me, PCA is a longer stay. That's me getting sleepier, um, me kind of having a longer stay where I have to then be weaned off of the PCA, not just the drugs, but of the pressing of the button and all that stuff longer. So I try my hardest to do um, just regular dilaudid every four to six hours. If it's a really bad crisis and it's about an eight and up, then I do have to be put on PCA and that means a longer hospital stay. I see, I see. Mm -hmm. So tell me, what is something that you wish healthcare personnel understood better about this condition and how it how it feels? Um, I think I wish that healthcare providers understood that when I go to the hospital, um, that's a lot for me. I 
don't want to be there and it takes a lot to get me to that point of going to the hospital um so for me i'll wait at home for a certain amount of days and as it progressively gets worse and worse and it gets a higher number and it kind of um i like to say i can't control the pain that's when i go in um a lot of the time healthcare professionals will ask me first and foremost on a scale of one to ten how bad your pain is and I will say something like, oh, an eight and nine. For a healthy person, that's like a 12 or a 14. Um, but because I cope with the pain so well, I'm at an eight and nine. So a lot of the times, even when I say six or seven, they're like, oh, it's not that bad. Um, but it is bad. It's probably what a healthy person would describe as a 12. And it takes a lot for me to get to that point of wanting to be in the hospital. So when I'm sitting there and, and you're talking with me and you're asking me, well, how many days do, have you done something at home? Know that I've exhausted all of my options at home and I'm really there to either be admitted or for pain meds. Um, there's no if or ands about it. That's just how I cope. Um, I wish that healthcare providers also knew that, like, I don't appreciate or like the feeling of being on pain meds. Um, there is a stigma right now, and it gets worse with the opioid crisis, and I understand that there are a lot of people out there that are abusing pain medication. For mm -hmm. me, pain medication is the only way that I can get to the end of being healthy and being not in the hospital it's not a means for me to have fun it's not a means for me to enjoy being there um and to enjoy ex escaping the realities of life for me it's a means to get my pain under control and to get out of the hospital as quickly as i can and that's always my goal that's always my intention Mm -hmm. With the stigma of opioids, there's a stigma that, um, you know, sickle cell patients are drug seekers or sickle cell patients like the feeling. I can tell you I've had so many conversations with my peers who have sickle cell who really do not appreciate the feeling of being on dilaudid. I hated myself, not being in control of my body, not being in control of my breathing, the rush that you get, the nausea, the itching, all of those things are not fun for me. And I wish sometimes that healthcare providers could understand that I'm not there to drug seek. Um, I have enough pain meds at home. <laughs> like if I could be at home and dealing with my pain meds, I would be. So when I go mm -hmm. to the hospital, I've exhausted all other options and avenues of treatment. And I'm really there to just get the pain meds, feel better, and be able to leave. Um, and I, I, I know that it's an invisible illness. I know that I cope with my illness so well that sometimes I look okay. And that's just me being strong and me trying to not worry my mom or me trying to, you know, get through my life because there's so many other things I want to be doing. But mm -hmm. at the same time, just because I look okay or I don't look, you know, like I'm really, really struggling, I don't have, you know, a bald head from chemo or I don't have an apparent disability does not mean that I'm not in pain, does not mean that I'm not 
you know, feeling sick. And being in the hospital is not somewhere I like to be. And sometimes I wish, you know, more healthcare providers understood that. And I wouldn't have to defend why I'm there when I'm there because I just want to be there to be sick sometimes. Yeah. yeah. Kelsey, you did a, such a nice job describing how painful this is for you. And yeah. I detect um, that you've had some bad experiences, that you've, that you have at times been made to feel something other than someone who is just seeking health care when they need it. And, yes. and that is so, so, so tough. We're, you know, I, I want to apologize on behalf of healthcare professionals. You know, that is, that's an awful thing to be in the situation that you're in and yet um, deal with something yet again in addition to that um, that is rather unpleasant. I appreciate that and you know I've had great experiences too um, I just think the stigma of the opioid crisis has been really putting a negative impact um, on people with sickle cell um, for a little bit of some time and I've had bad experiences I have mm-hmm. okay so our audience is um, particularly nurses many other people listen as well Um, But I always like to make sure that we're addressing the nurses who are listening. And I'm going to ask you to tell us about what part of your treatment or care is carried out by a nurse. Um, Oh, my goodness. The majority of the treatment and care is carried out by nurses. Um, I think nurses are the first forefront that I see, especially when I'm going into the emergency room, Um, even in the clinics. Um, before the doctor, which is very indicative of how important nurses' jobs are. Um, But a lot of the time when I'm being treated, the first person that I speak to is a nurse, and, you know, they kind of ask me of my symptoms, how I'm feeling, and a lot of the time I can get this very warm presence from them that they just want to take care and help. Um, I think sometimes that presence is a little more difficult with doctors solely because they're, you know, about the science and the books and what they've learned and gone to school for, and that's understandable. Um, But nurses are really the first people for me that taught me compassion, even as a child, because when I would be in the clinic or in the hospital, and I've had so many great experiences, too, where nurses have really made me feel like it's okay. Um, And from even an early age, you know, the people who drew my blood, I used to call them ouchies um, when I was little. Um, Even though they were the bad guys, technically, there were some cases where nurses were so considerate and, you know, putting on the um, numbing treatments. um, And then, you know explaining everything to me like I'm taking this blood out because because I had so many questions when I was younger um and they would really just sit there with me and be compassionate and be kind um and that's where I learned the value of that relationship because even when you do rounds when you're inpatient you know the nurse is the first person who asks me how are you feeling today um what's going on of that then they go outside the door and they're the ones who are advocating for me and what I've been through throughout the night or throughout the day um, with mm-hmm. the doctors and kind of coming up with the plan um, so nurses for me have always been um, advocates 
they've always been compassionate. I've had bad experiences, but for the most part, um, nurses really taught me a lot about kindness and care and compassion when it comes to the hospital. And they've mm-hmm. meant so much to me. I've had nurses who I've known since I was two and a half. So mm-hmm. I grew up in the hospital um, and they've watched me grow up. And I really, there have been times where I couldn't speak for myself, where I couldn't advocate for myself, where I was so scared and sad and my mom was a single mom so a lot of the time as I got older I would be in the hospital by myself for the day and she would stop by during her lunch breaks and make sure everything's going okay Um, but the nurses were kind of there for me throughout the day um, playing games with me like just talking to me and and really being like second moms to me um, ever since I was younger and really advocating for me so they're a huge part of my treatment okay very good Mm -hmm. thank you so let's um turn the tables yet again i would love to hear about what you're doing and i understand that you have a podcast of your own i want you to tell us a little bit about that and who is your prospective audience and what what are the the guests that you're interested in talking to Sure. Um, so my podcast is called The Pill Podcast, and the it is pill. really The Pill, yes. The Pill. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, and it is really geared towards the patient perspective. I think a lot of healthcare is flawed in the fact that even when doctors, um, I go to a teaching hospital, so med students, Um, And everyone learns about the illness, it's through the books, it's through the empirical evidence, the science. And sometimes I feel like the patient perspective is missing and how this illness impacts their lives outside of the hospital really does tie into how they're treated inside the hospital. To know that I have hopes outside of the hospital, to know that I have dreams, to know that I have aspirations, to know that each day I'm making health decisions in regards to um, being an adult and going out and having fun and drinking or taking my meds and all those responsibilities. There are responsibilities that weigh in outside of the hospital um, that kind of gear towards my lifestyle. And I felt like a lot of the patient perspective from the outside and how it affects my education, um, you know, friendship, dating, marriage, all of those things, I wanted to show people how the patient perspective is really important when it comes to dealing with different illnesses. So I basically interview a lot of my friends who I've met from um, support groups, different camps for kids with chronic illnesses, um, and each episode is a different illness. I just shot one on um, CF, hemophilia, so cystic fibrosis, hemophilia, um, uh, astrocytomas, so brain tumor, um, all these young people that are living with different illnesses and kind of talking to them about their symptoms, their diagnosis stories, um, how they've gotten their education, how they've been able to make a living even with their chronic illness or disability, um, just all of those outside things that you don't really hear about um, in, in the hospital. Um, so that's kind of what my podcast is. We just interview different young adults living, dealing, coping, and empowering others with 
with chronic illnesses and kind of talk about their life perspectives and how their illness um, impacts or hindrance, um, hinders their lifestyle. Um, that's kind of what my podcast is all about. So. Well, congratulations. I am happy to hear that you are up and running. I did know yeah. about the pill, um, and I, I'm excited to listen in. Um, and I'm, I'm, I, I really applaud your work in this area and the ability that you have to inform the public in a way that, that we might not hear from someone else. Thank you. I appreciate that. Um, I've been doing a lot of advocacy um, getting involved in different organizations, sickle cell advocacy throughout my life. And I just find that a lot of the time when I'm doing different um, talking, speaking engagements, when I'm, you know, working with med students, um, everything like that, they really are interested in hearing more about how the illness impacts my life outside of the hospital because they don't get to hear that story they just know me for my symptoms and you know my um hospital kind of experiences mm -hmm. and so going through that and seeing how encouraging it is from different med students and doctors to be like wow i didn't know you went through that outside the hospital or um different things <laughs> and people really wanting to learn about what your illnesses what your symptoms are from your perspective um what you go through from your perspective and I just wanted to bring that back into the um, the into the medical environment. Um, so I'm very excited about it. It's been so much fun catching up with a lot of friends who have different illnesses as well, and just hearing them. And it kind of it puts a lot in per, into perspective for me um, when I'm thinking I have a lot or I have to deal with a lot. You know, to hear about what other people deal with, it's it's really important. So it's been fun. <laughs> Again, congratulations on your work. Thank you. So, Kelsey, I'm going to begin wrapping up our discussion today. Um, sure. I'm going to ask you one more question. And this question is, what encouragement would you offer to others, perhaps younger folks, or maybe some uh, individuals who feel a little bit more isolated who have sickle cell anemia? Um, I just want to encourage them to really advocate for themselves and to also keep hope and keep the faith. There are so many exciting things that are happening when it comes to curing sickle cell and, and looking at different medical treatments and different options. Um, and I know that pain and chronic pain can be something that is a very damaging um, emotionally and physically, and it's hard to deal with every single day and I know we deal with it every day we have some sort of remnants of pain especially as you get older and I just want everyone to know to keep hope and to keep the faith um, and to also know that it's okay to advocate for yourself and to be strong and to stand your ground and to explain how you're feeling and to explain your pain and to make sure that that is your priority in life um, and also I want to encourage others to talk to other people who have um, sickle cell and other disabilities and chronic illnesses alike, um, solely because just to learn about what other people go through um, and to feel like you're not alone in dealing with this pain every day is such an important factor, at least for me, for continuing on and to be strong and to um, 
be kind of centered, center-minded. Um, and also, I guess, I want to encourage those with sickle cell to seek alternative care. So massage therapy, physical therapy, aqua therapy, um, all those things kind of help me from a symptom perspective to um, go to those different options first and foremost um, and then try to deal with the pain clinically is really important and when it comes to um, living day to day and trying to get different avenues to cope with your pain so very good very good Mm -hmm. perspective is everything sometimes yes well Kelsey thank you again for being my guest today on talking in vain No, thank you for having me. I love speaking about this, so it was a lot of fun. Thank you. Okay. This concludes this session of Talking in Vain. Thank you so much for listening.